0: If the news, if the media outlets actually covered real news, what would be the biggest news? I I think there actually isn't too much question. It's the spread of the gospel. It's the work of the church transforming the world. If we looked at education, if we looked at medicine, if we looked at disaster relief, if we looked at cultural transformation, whatever level we look at, the biggest thing that has happened for 2,000 years consistently has been the growth and spread of of the church of Jesus Christ. It is absolutely remarkable. The news won't spot it. They won't mention it. They don't necessarily even like it, but it's the truth. We're part of that. We get to be part of the biggest thing that's happening. The thing that once we go into eternity will be the thing that lasts. The thing that when we look back on history, once we can see clearly not through the media, but through kind of the heavenly records, we'll look back and we'll say, wow, God, you did a good, good job. Now, as we are here on the earth right now, as we zoom in from broad church and the the big news, the church in China, the church in Africa, the church in South America, the church in Europe, there's lots of big news. As we zoom in to the local level, sometimes the picture seems a little bit different, doesn't it? when you get down to the local level of a local church with the personalities and the quirkiness and you know all the little issues and so on a local church can feel it can feel a little bit mundane a little bit flat compared to the big news of what's going on and as we're going into this season as a church, thinking about transitioning from what we've called the startup team, that is the group of people who, who said, we will get this church going, but we do not want to self-appoint. We've got to transition to a state where we can, as a church, say, okay, we have recognized who the leaders are, and we are happy with who the leaders are moving forward. They're not self-appointed, they're church-recognized, and church leader recognized as well we've got an accountability group we're going to watch the process so so that's kind of where we are we're, we're in this transition phase and the danger with that is that our eyes can be dragged down into the kind of the muddy stuff of church life the kind of the sharp elbows and the what do you think and what did she say and the you know it can get very kind of murky and we can lose track of the amazing big thing that god is doing which is the church which this is a part of Last week, Dave introduced the series, took us into the book of Titus, and was uh, looking at the question, why? Why do we need church leaders? God gives leaders, he told us, for the sake of the gospel and for the sake of the faithful. He told us that that, uh, in Titus 1, the big reason that Titus was left in Crete and and told to appoint elders and to get the leadership established in the church was because there are dangerous people that are going to be a threat to the local church. And so the leaders are there to protect it. we thought about that and how easy it is for the message of the gospel to get twisted and corrupted and, and damaged. And how easy it is to go a few degrees off of what is straight and go off in another direction. That's what God gives leadership for, to protect the church. And I suppose you could say today's message is part two of last week's because why we need leaders and what leaders do, which is what we're thinking about today, are kind of the same thing. If you just reverse them, why do we need leaders? Because we need protecting. What do leaders do? They protect. We're going to think about uh, five things that we think summarized the New Testament's teaching on the roles of church leaders. They're in the the church handbook. We're going to probably get them to you on a piece of paper. Next week, it's kind of straightforward. There's no surprises. Feed, lead, care, protect, equip. That's what leaders do. And so as we go through the message today, we're going to be thinking about what it is that leaders do, in a sense, at one level, to, to be saying to ourselves, okay, so who's doing these things? Who are the people that are showing uh, themselves kind of uh, to have the inclination to do these things? But in another sense, I don't want us to keep our eyes at that level. That just seems too kind of classroomy. This is uh, a preaching opportunity, this is a Bible open opportunity. So ultimately, I want us to lift our eyes beyond the local to the bigger thing that's going on or even to the greater shepherd. Okay, but let's think about what leaders do. In fact, before we think about what leaders do, What don't leaders do? What don't leaders do? Because uh, we've all got probably different church experiences, different types of leaderships, different structures, different backgrounds. Sometimes there's baggage in that background. What don't leaders do? There have been all sorts of abuses, all sorts of failures down through the years. You go back into the times of the New Testament, there were problems already right at the beginning. And so what don't leaders do? Well, firstly... Remember book of Mark we were in Mark recently we're going to do the Mark drama soon in Mark 10 there's that key moment where Jesus is talking to his disciples and they're arguing about who gets the position they were kind of position hungry and Jesus shone a light on that and he said among the Gentiles among the nations they lord it over one another not so with you you serve Even the Son of Man came to serve, not to be served. And so church leaders do not or should not lord it over. But instead, they're called to serve, to give themselves away for the sake of the church. It's not a position to aspire to, it's not a promotion. It's an opportunity to serve. As well as that, they don't get things their way. There's a a phrase. Get things their way. Maybe you've had those kind of conversations with people. If you were prime minister, what would be the first thing you'd do? If you were president, what would be the first thing you do? And usually the answer comes back, some major bold decision based on personal values, right? I'd cut all taxes, or I'd, I'd give people like me nice cars, or what, you know, some kind of selfish statement. But actually, that's not the way it works, is it? Anyone who's ever been in a position of leadership and handled it properly knows it's not about getting things your own way. It's about often leading the way and sacrificing what you want and what's comfortable for you in order to serve what's best for the community. And so undoubtedly there are leaders who do get things their way, who abuse the power, abuse the position. Those are the people we do not want to be leading our church. It's not about getting things their own way. It's about leading the way in sacrifice. It's not about getting rich. That's a common theme down through the years, that church leaders are people who take advantage of the financial resources of others. In fact, in the New Testament, on multiple occasions, it talks about that. Where, where somebody is using a, a position of power, a position of influence, and what they're receiving is not in line with what they're giving. And when what they're receiving is not in line with what they're giving, the Bible calls that shameful gain. We don't want leaders. We do not want a pastoral team. We do not want elders, whatever you want to call it, who are in it for the money. A, because it's not great money, but B, because it's the wrong motivation. It's not. We don't go into ministry in order to try to, to take advantage for the sake of an easy life and for the sake of, of gain. Again, it's a, a position where a responsibility, a privilege, shall we call it, of spending your life. So that actually in church leadership, there's no amount of money that could really reimburse for what's given if somebody's truly leading. You see, there's lots of misunderstandings, lots of confusing ideas about church leaders. They lord it over. They get things their own way. They get rich off of other people. And the fourth one I'll mention is that they do the work of the ministry. That's just not right. They do the work of the ministry. So many churches have been caught up with a two-tier system. Where, where there's normal people uh, and then there's the promoted ones who are in a position who do the ministry and the normal people pay for them to do the ministry. And there's sort of a two-tier, as clergy and laity. And I don't think you can support that biblically. The reality is we're all sheep in God's flock. Every one of us. There's no one that steps out of the category of being a sheep by becoming a leader. I was trying to figure out an analogy. Uh, it's sort of like the the, the monitors at school—they're still students, still pupils—but they kind of have this extra burden of responsibility. But you know, sheep monitors didn't work, so I'm not going to go there. But, but, but really, it's not a two-tier system. The reality is that that all of us are God's flock. All of us are called to serve. All of us have the opportunity to give ourselves in ministry. The leaders are the ones that are there to make sure that you're equipped and resourced, and encouraged, and helped, and given opportunity. It's just a greater responsibility, but it's not a different class of person or a different level of spirituality or anything like that. We're equals before God. Before we go to Titus, let's just briefly dip into the book of Acts because there's one thing I really want us to see there. If we're thinking about how the roles of the leaders are going to kind of flow out, there's got to be a a kind of a center point, a, a gravitational core to what it is that leaders actually do. So Acts chapter 6. This is a brand new church. In fact, this is the brand new church. The church in Jerusalem, right back at the beginning. And early on, there was a problem. Nothing unusual, nothing, uh, nothing out of the ordinary, just people struggling with people. Decisions being made, miscommunications happening. You know how it goes. You've been part of a church. Acts 6 verse 1. Now in these days, when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. So you've got Hellenists, that is Greek-speaking people, and you've got Hebrews, that is Hebrew-speaking. And they're in Jerusalem, which is uh, kind of a both-language environment, but somehow the Hebrew-speaking widows were being served quicker, better. There there was some, some unfairness going on. This is a problem. This is the kind of crack that we talked about a few weeks ago. Just a little crack that is so easy to ignore, so easy to leave, but it needed to be dealt with. If this, if this wasn't dealt with, this would become two churches. This would become a problem right from the start. In fact, all through Acts, they've got a passion to unite the Jews and the Gentiles in one church. There's no us and them. And so verse 2, the 12, that is the apostles, summoned the full number of the disciples and said, It is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the spirit and full of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. See, there's work to be done, but the leadership can't do it all. Verse 4, but we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. That's the core. That's the, the very center of, of where leadership should be like a fountain flowing out into the church. That The leadership says, we're going to guard the word and prayer. Other things are going to happen. We're going to be involved in other things. But really, we've got to protect the ministry of the word and prayer because it's going to be so easy to drift from that. I think the startup team would all agree with me that it's very easy to drift from that. It's very easy to get caught up in, in, in issues and in pastoral issues and in, in management issues and in leadership issues. And, and there's all these things that, that are going on, and we're still trying to learn how to do that and how to, to, to kind of manage our own leadership, if you like. And I, I just put my hands in the air and, and say that corporately, as a three, as a four, we've probably not prayed anywhere near as much as we should have. We're still trying to figure it out. How, how do we really guard that prayer together? Praying on our own, of course, I'm sure, but, but praying together when there's a, a to-do list that's always bigger and every time we look at it, it's longer. And every You see, it's, it's not easy, but we've got to guard that. That's got to be the center, to have a leadership that say, you know what? The most important thing here is the connection between us and God that can then spill outwards because we want everybody else ultimately to have connection between them and God. And so how are we going to lead the way if we don't? It's critical to have that prayer ministry of the word at the center. And then what spills out from that is what leaders do. Now, you could say, based on Acts 6, 4, leaders do prayer and ministry of the word, that's it, end of. But actually, as you go through the rest of the New Testament, there are five things that leaders do. Leaders in churches are shepherds who lay down their lives for the sake of the flock by feeding, leading, caring, protecting, and equipping. We'll think through those five. Feed, lead, care, protect, equip. So let's turn to Titus because we'll we'll see most of these in Titus. Titus is this little letter that Paul wrote to Titus, funnily enough. And Titus was his his, uh, kind of his man in Crete. He'd left him there and given him the job. Please, uh, Titus, I want you to appoint elders in every town. I want you to get the church in order. I need it. You know, it needs to be organised. You need to put leadership in place. Uh, And so Titus was right on the cusp of what we're talking about here. And so this letter is really fresh and relevant to us. And and as Paul wrote to Titus, he said to him, uh, Titus, here are the things that that you need to to be aware of. Here are the things you need to influence. Here are the things that need to be put in place. And, And Titus is really three chapters, three sections. First section, chapter one, you need to appoint elders. Appoint elders, qualified people. We're going to think about that next week. And then in verse 10, He gives the reason why, for there are many rebellious and so on, these problem people that are going to attack the church. You need to appoint elders. Second chapter, he says, right, I want you to teach the people in the church, different age groups, older men, older women, younger women, younger men, slaves. I want you to teach them how the gospel works out in their lives. And then verse 11, for here's the reason the grace of God has appeared and it transforms lives. And then in chapter 3, he says, uh, I want you to teach them, remind them of how to relate to the authorities and to the community around, to the culture. And then in verse 3, he gives the reason why, for we too were once like that, but now by the Spirit we've been changed. And so three times, instruction and then a reason why, instruction, then a reason why, instruction, then a reason why. It's really straightforward, simple little letter in lots of ways. And in it we find Hints at the elements of what it means to be in leadership. What does it involve? So first of all, to feed. Drop into chapter 1, verse 9. This is uh, in in reference to uh, the elders, the elder qualifications. We're going to come back to it next week. But the final verse of that section, talking about uh, a qualified elder, he says, he must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught. So that he may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine and also to rebuke those who contradict it. Drop down to chapter 2 verse 1. But as for you, teach what accords with sound doctrine. End of the chapter, verse 15. Declare these things, exhort and rebuke with all authority. Let no one disregard you. Verse uh, chapter 3 verse 8. The saying is trustworthy and I want you to insist on these things. So that those who have believed in God may be careful to devote themselves to good works. These things are excellent and profitable for people. All the way through, Paul is saying teaching has to take place. that the, the sheep have to be fed from the word. If we had time, we could go back and we could look at the history of, of the Christian church. Down through the years, there have been literally thousands of, of churches and denominations. And one of the things that you'll see time and time again in history is that as denominations lose the Bible from the center of who they are, as the Bible becomes peripheral, in order to be relevant, in order to be contemporary, in order to be whatever it is they're trying to be, when the Bible drifts from the center, denominations start to go off the rails denominations that were once thriving and, uh, and just buzzing and lives were being transformed today are just empty buildings. Why? Because the Bible's moved off-center. The, the church I grew up in, 200 years of history in that denomination, if, if we can use that label for them, uh, and they would, they would say, oh, look at all the good that's been done, and it's an incredible story. But what's happened to it? I read a book, and in this book, the guy was analyzing it, and he said, you know what happened? In the middle of the 20th century, they lost their confidence in the scriptures. And that denomination is a shell of what it used to be. If we're going to be a church that goes forward and thrives, we've got to make sure that we get in place leaders who have a a passion for the word of God and a, a passion and a capacity and ability, whatever language you want to give it, a gifting to be able to communicate it. Now, I don't think that's the same as being gifted to preach. Not every leader has to be a preacher. But for somebody to be a leader in a church, they need to be able to come alongside and open the word and and either encourage or rebuke whatever's needed to, to guide and to feed and to care through scripture. Feeding has got to be At the core, and as long as the Bible is at the center, there's a hope that this church can be healthy. The moment that drifts, we're in trouble. Leaders feed, leaders lead. It's it's one of those things that is kind of hard to, almost hard to define. That when you put a group of people together, the the default is not progress. The default will not be uh, advancement or, or a sense of progress or a sense of momentum. The, the default is always to go still. It's to go flat. It's to, it's to kind of lose momentum. Leadership involves creating momentum. It, in, it involves being able to see above what's going on and say, this is where we're going, here's the vision, here's the values, here's the direction, let's go there, and, and somehow to hopefully be people who can, can take others with them in that direction. I would say, looking back at the first year of, of Trinity Chippenham as a startup team, we made a lot of mistakes, we did a lot of things wrong, but one thing we learned was that leadership involves creating and recreating and recreating momentum. Because the moment we relax, things stop. Leaders lead. Now, in Titus, Paul gives Titus a specific little moment where he references leadership. And I think it's, uh, it's worth noticing because it's not simply talking about going somewhere. It's talking about how to influence lives. And it's, it's fascinating what he says in chapter 2, verse 6 through to verse 8. He's speaking to Titus in reference to the younger men. And he says, likewise, urge the younger men to be self-controlled. Show yourself in all respects to be a model of good works. And in your teachings, show integrity, dignity, and sound speech that cannot be condemned, so that an opponent may be put to shame, having nothing evil to say about us. Two, Two things to add to the concept of leadership from these three verses. Number one. It's a whole of life thing. It's not simply uh, standing up at one moment in time and saying, hey, we're going there. Leadership is a whole of life thing where, where it's the example of your life that really uh, motivates and draws others to trust. And Paul's telling Titus, you've you got to have an integrity about your life and your speech and your teaching. It, it's got to all fit together. It's got to hold together. Otherwise, you're not going to be able to influence. As you look back over your, your life, different churches, different situations, are there leaders that come to mind who had that kind of integrity? Real uh, love for God and integrity in their own life. And, uh, and somehow they may have had other strengths and weaknesses, but it, something about that, that that just made you trust them. Give thanks to God for people like that. They're such a gift. We need people like that. People that lead out of the overflow of who they are. And let's not miss what Paul says in verse 8. Speech, sound speech that cannot be condemned so that an opponent. It's like he's assuming that there are going to be opponents opposing the leader. Opposing the believers. It's true for all of us that we have an opponent, an enemy against us. But somehow when you get put into a position of recognized leadership... You put your head above the parapet, you start getting shot. I remember as a, as a teen being incredibly shy, thinking the last thing I ever want to do in my life is to be a preacher. There's just absolutely no way. I had lots of other plans. That wasn't one of them. And then God kind of turned that around and I, I developed a passion for it and I was excited about it. What I didn't realize was that the moment you start preaching, you start becoming people's roast lunch. You preach... Then you go home and everyone else is talking about you or ignoring you. Either way, it's awkward. Leadership is even worse. Every decision scrutinized. People who don't know everything criticize. It's going to be tough. Being a leader means getting shot at. It's difficult. It's draining. I understand why a lot of people in pastoral leadership burn out. Partly because of loneliness. Because who can you trust? Who can you talk to? Everywhere you turn, it feels like you're being shot. It's a very difficult position to be in. Let's be praying even now for whoever the leadership team are in the future here, beyond September, that God would protect them. That they would be uh, somehow guarded from unnecessary uh, friendly fire. I remember when I was... um, uh, almost a teenager, twenty twenty one. I was working on the uh, OM ship. In, in OM, we had uh, some missionary organization, and, and I was working in the book department, literature kind of sales, and, and there was two, two shifts. And the, the two shifts were, were exact opposites of each other in terms of their leadership. There was, there was Team A and there was Team B. Team A was led by a high-flying, high-achieving, driven leader. In terms of sales figures, in terms of productivity, in, in terms of kind of getting the work done, no one had ever come close to this leader and the team around them. And then there was Team B. The leader of Team B was in his 30s, which is quite old on the ship, actually. He, he was the most Christ-like, still is, probably the most Christ-like man I've ever met. I, I just instantly respected him. He, he, I, I knew him for three months almost 20 years ago, and his influence is still uh, moving me today. And, and so he was the, the team leader in team B and uh, he had a couple working with him who were kind of similar and caring and, and so on. And, uh, and the two teams couldn't have been different. And I was in the position of kind of having to choose which team do I go on. I wasn't a leader at all. I was just kind of a cashier or something. And I was looking at the two teams and, and, and the team A were pressuring, saying, come on, come join us. We can be better. We can do more. We can be a success. And team B had this guy on who I respected because of his life, because of his love for Jesus, because he cared, because he was in the word. Everything about him just made me say, I don't even need to think about it. I'm not desperate to be on team A with all of its record-breaking success. I'm prepared to follow that guy wherever he goes because he was a leader in the Christian sense, not a leader in the impressive sense, a leader in the Christ-like sense. Thank God for people like that. Pray that there will be people like that here, because we need leaders who will lead out of the overflow of their own lives, prepared to take the shots that come against them, and prepared to move us forward, making decisions, doing things that may not be universally popular, but may be right. Feed, lead, and then care and protect Care and protect to me are kind of like twin, twin uh, roles, if you like. Let's say that this is me, okay? This is, this is me, I'm just a normal sheep, and I need both care and protection. Care, I think, is where somebody else comes to me and cares for me. There's kind of a, a gentleness to that, right? There, there's kind of a uh, how are you doing? And really listening and not interrupting and, 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 and hearing my heart and finding out where I'm at and, and hearing me and listening to me and caring for me and encouraging me and, uh, and all the things that go into feeding. That is what I need. I need that. I value that in leaders. I, I recognize that when I see it in others, people who, who will care for my heart and my soul. We, we need that, don't we? And we need to be protected. And protection is where I think that leader Turns around and, if necessary, can be very strong to keep away from me a threat. We need that kind of leadership too. Leaders that are prepared to do the awkward thing in order to guard the flock. It's easy to think about uh, false teachers and and enemies being like in sort of cartoon world, you know, with the the, the swag bag and the eye mask and the prison kind of overalls on, like you can always spot a false teacher. But actually, in, in, in the New Testament, you can't. They're very subtle, and they're usually from within, not coming from outside. And so it takes leaders that are discerning, and then leaders that are courageous to turn from the sheep they're caring for, and if necessary... Be strong and deal with issues. Now, it may be that the issues they're dealing with involve care too. A lot of of the time it's not uh, uh, wolves in sheep's clothing. Sometimes it's sheep acting wolfish. You have to tell the difference. It's not always easy. But caring and protecting are critical functions in the local church. And we get some hints of that here in Titus. Look at Titus 1 verse 11. In reference to these uh, insubordinate, empty talkers and deceivers from the circumcision party, we heard about them last week. Verse 11, they must be silenced since they are upsetting whole families by teaching for shameful gain what they ought not to teach. Verse 13, this testimony is true, therefore rebuke them sharply that they may be sound in the faith. Go over to chapter 3, verse 9. Paul says, avoid foolish controversies, genealogies, dissensions and quarrels about the law, for they are unprofitable and worthless. As for a person who stirs up division, after warning him once and then twice, have nothing more to do with him. Knowing that such a person is warped and sinful, he is self-condemned. One of our problems is that a lot of us are British. It's kind of a trait in, in Britain that, that we'll talk about people, but we won't talk to people. You ever been in a situation in a restaurant with somebody and the food comes and they, they cut into their food and the sausage is cold and the, the you know, the carrots have been, you know, nuked and, and everything isn't quite right. And all they do, all they do is moan and complain and say, oh, this is gross. Oh, my goodness. I can't believe we've got to pay for this. And then the waiter or the waitress comes along. Everything okay? What do they say? Yeah, fine. thanks, Thanks. Yeah. And you think, well, what about you want to buy it's not fine? But that's a British thing. Other cultures don't do that. They let it rip. They'll tell the waiter, This is gross. Never tasted anything as bad in my life. Would you mind? And isn't it's fine, it gets worked out. But but for British people, we kind of <laughs> find things. We can't do that in the church. We don't want leaders that are going to do that. We need leaders that are prepared, if necessary, to have difficult conversations. Prepared if necessary to give warnings prepared if necessary uh, to confront people over sin. And it seems kind of frightening to to talk about it. It feels intimidating, but the truth is it creates an environment of safety. It creates an environment where you feel safe to know that if if other people are are sinning and, and creating a problem, it will be dealt with. And if you yourself start sinning, you will be pursued. I want to be part of a church where I will be pursued if there's sin in my life that needs to be dealt with. Because, to be honest, I just don't feel safe if everyone is just going to be polite. Leaders feed and lead. They care and protect and they equip. Now, equipping isn't so much a a role for uh, the shepherding analogy, but it's definitely a role that's biblical. Just think about what's happening in Titus. Paul, the apostle, has mentored and trained Titus traveled with him, he's brought him along, he, he's sent him off on, on missions, he was in Corinth for a while, he's, he's worked with him, now he's left him in Crete for this important role and he's supporting him from a distance. And what's he telling Titus to do? Titus, appoint leaders and teach them this. Presumably so the leaders can then pass that on and equip others. The, the very existence of Titus is an affirmation of the need for equipping. Too many churches in too many places for too long have been putting all the burden of ministry on one or a few people. It's not possible. It's not possible for this church to be what God wants it to be. If we have a a team of people who do the ministry, no matter how big that team is, if everybody else is just watching. Because everyone has gifts. Everyone has things to offer. If your gift is hospitality, give hospitality with all your strength. If your gift is encouragement, give encouragement with everything you've got. If you're a a teacher, a servant, whatever the gifting might be, you you need to to find it. We want to help you find it. And we need to give and participate. And the, the life groups are an environment for that. Free to connect is an environment for that. Sundays are an environment for that. We saw it kind of demonstrated up front. People giving themselves away in order to make church work. It takes a leadership to equip a church, to bring a church to the place of health where everybody's serving as God intended them to. So what do leaders do? Well, they feed, they lead, they care, they protect, they equip. That's what we need to be looking for. People who are showing an aptitude in those areas. Now, that leaves us with a question. Who should be the leaders of a local church? Who, who is sufficient for, for a role like that? There's two answers. The first answer is what we're going to look at next week, that the Bible does give us clear instruction on, on qualifications, and they are qualifications to do not with gifting or, or anything else. They're to do with mature Christian character. Okay, and so the qualifications are looking for mature Christian character. It's not a standard of perfection, as Dave is going to explain, but it's a standard of, of maturity that allows the person to, to have a, a, a kind of an overflow in their life where they can serve the family of the church as well as their own family. And so that's the first answer. Who should be leaders? People who are qualified. If you look around, if you visit churches, if you get to know situations, you will never find a healthy church with an unqualified leadership. You will never find an unhealthy church in the ultimate sense with a very qualified leadership. I've visited a lot of churches. I've been a part of a lot of churches. I've had the privilege of being in churches with healthy leadership, and I've been thankful for those men who've been over me because it's been such a privilege to be part of that, our sending church back in the States that that we're still sort of accountable to. I praise God for those men because they're qualified, and therefore I feel shepherded. That's critical. So who is sufficient? Those who are qualified, and we'll think about that next week. But secondly, the second answer to that question Who is qualified, really? Who who is capable of doing the, the work of a shepherd leader? And the answer actually is nobody. Nobody can do it all. Nobody can have everything in place and be the perfect church leader. Because here's the fact we've got to remember. The church may have some under shepherds. But the church has only one shepherd. And that is Christ. And I was pondering that, I was thinking about that, thinking, okay, let's finish the message not looking at each other and thinking about ourselves. Let's finish the message looking at Christ. And, uh, and, and it's interesting to me that it's easy for us to think of Jesus the shepherd past and Jesus the shepherd future. Jesus the shepherd past, John chapter 10, I am the good shepherd, the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep and so on. We look back 2,000 years to a shepherd who died on a cross for us and we praise God for Jesus, Right? And then we come to the end of of Hebrews, certainly the end of 1 Peter, and it talks about the great shepherd, the chief shepherd. And when he appears, that's future. And so we look back on the good shepherd who died laying down his life for the sheep. And we look forward to the return of that chief shepherd who will bring this age to a close. But what about Jesus the shepherd today? The reality is, and we've got to be gripped by this for this next few months, for the rest of the life of this church, we've got to always remember this. We have one shepherd, and that is Christ, and he shepherds us today. Not just in the past, not just in the future. Today, he ever lives to intercede for us. He prays for us today. He cares for us today. Jesus is the shepherd who truly lays down his life and today desires to feed and lead and care and protect and equip us. And so I I just want to invite us as a church as we move forward. Inevitably, we're going to be thinking and praying and and kind of evaluating and pondering. and, And really this is a very, very key moment in the life of this church. And we've really got to carry the trust that is given to us all for these next four months really carefully As we do that, let's keep our eyes on Jesus. Let's come to him and invite him to do what he's already doing so that we become aware of it. Come to him and say, Lord Jesus, if I open your word in the morning, as we spend time in your word in life group, whatever the circumstance, Lord Jesus, would you feed me? Would you feed us? We need you to feed us. Some of us are struggling. Some of us are not in a good place spiritually. Jesus, feed us, please. Sustain us, nourish us. You're the shepherd. Would you feed? Jesus, would you lead us? As we as a church go through these next few months, Jesus, please, you're the shepherd. You're the one that's in charge, and we don't always see it, and you don't kind of phone us and give us a message that's direct and obvious, and sometimes we'd love that, but but we just want to tell you we trust you that you're the one that's building your church, and that we don't need to be fearful or stressed in the midst of what's happening. As we look to you, we can pray with confidence that you will lead us forward. And that the church will be safe because it's in your hands. Jesus, would you care for, for me and for us and, and for my brother and for my sister who I know are having a tough time? Would you, would you by your spirit care in tangible, specific, spiritual, uh, life-changing ways? And, and would you protect us? Because we are vulnerable and Jesus, you're our shepherd and we need you to protect us from from wolves in sheep's clothing, from bombs from the outside, from friendly fire within. Jesus, please protect us. And Jesus, would you equip us too? We don't really know what you've created us to be and to do, but we, we want to give our lives for the sake of what you've given your life for. The church. For your father, for you, we, we love you, we want to serve you. Would you equip me, equip us to be the people we need to be? Would you equip the men that are going to be the leadership team going forward for this church? Would you equip the men who are almost the leadership team for this church? Because that could be really tough for some. Would you equip them for what's gonna, what it's going to take to handle that with grace? Would you equip us all, take us forward? Jesus is the shepherd, which means this church is in safe hands. Let's be sure to keep our eyes on him as we move forward.